You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey guys, um, I want you to know as we start, I spent some time this week just really thanking God for you. Um, I thank God for you. I thank God for how you love God and so many of you love your neighbor out of the overflow of God. I thank God for how many, so many people are reading the Bible and trying to reach out to their neighbors and focused on the gospel. So many of you are generous with your time and your finances and your skills. And um, I, I, I couldn't always thank God at this level. I always thank God for our church. Um, I love you and I like you, which is a great thing. And because of you, like Grace has a great reputation in the community because of your ministry. So thank you uh, as your pastor. And today's topic, strategy. Strategy. So uh, some people think seem to live strategically. Others don't live strategically. So I want to talk about strategy for a moment. You say, well, I don't know what strategy means. That's totally fine. Um, here's a definition, quick working definition for the word strategy. Strategy is your overall method or approach, which is what is your plan to accomplish a goal? What's your overall method, approach, your plan to accomplish a larger goal? If you have a good goal, that's great. But what is your plan to accomplish that goal? For example, this weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs play the Indianapolis Colts. And I pray they destroy them in Jesus' name, of course, I do as I do each week. Um, hope they win. Uh, now, going to this, the, the goal is Super Bowl 57. The goal is a win this weekend. But that's, this is a goal. Like, what is your plan? What's your strategy? So each week, the football team develops three plans, three game plans, an offensive, defensive, and special teams game plan with the three strategies, how we're going to win this game. Goals need a strategy. Here at Grace Church, we have noble goals. Our goal is to glorify God by making disciples here and around the world. We, we phrase it like this. We're here to help everyone become an outward-focused follower of Jesus. That's a noble goal. What's our plan? Nothing's going to happen without a strategy or plan. We have several strategies. We have strategies for outreach, strategies for our weekend worship, strategies for our growth path, grace groups, short-term, short-term Bible studies, Bible reading huddles, strategy for ministry, strategy for developing interns, residents, and church planting. All, that's the how, the planning around this noble goal. Maybe you have a noble goal in your life. You're trying to, okay, you're going to lose some weight. You're going to get in shape. You're going to get out of debt. Uh, you're going to plan for retirement. You're going to get life insurance. You're going to learn a new skill. Maybe your goal is spiritual. I'm going to begin reading the Bible together on a regular basis. I'm, I'm going to discern what God wants for my life next. Those are all noble goals. What's your strategy? What's your plan to accomplish that goal? And you say, well, I don't have a strategy for those things. That's totally fine. Maybe guess the reason God brought you here today to talk about Jesus' life, strategy, and what that might mean for you. So uh, think about Jesus for 30 years. 
He's now 29 or 30. He spent his whole life as a carpenter. Why was he a carpenter? His stepdad was a carpenter. That's how you got your job in Jesus' day. So now he's a carpenter, but God calls him into ministry. He's 30 years old, 29 or 30. He's got a very short time, three to three and a half years. That's it in public ministry. Not a long time for God to change the world. So the question is this, the goal is God's kingdom around the world, glorifying God, disciples around the world. That was God's goal. What was his ministry strategy? Like, what did Jesus do? And who did, he, who did he spend time with? And what is his strategy reveal to us about what we should be doing today? Doing the same things with the same people. So, uh, would you join me? In the, I've been doing this series, kind of team prayer. If you would pray, I'm gonna pray a phrase. I'm gonna pause. If you could pray in the gap, pray in that space. Pray, I mean, seriously pray for all of our campuses people engaging, that they hear from God and respond to him. Pray for those who don't know Jesus as well. So uh, join me in praying. Dear Jesus, right now, just in your mind, pray, dear Jesus, uh, we come to you right now. We need your help. God, would your Holy Spirit help us? Help all of us to learn more about Jesus. Help all of us to understand what your ministry strategy was. And may you speak to each one of us. How does what Jesus did 2,000 years ago impact our lives today? I pray for those who don't know Jesus. God, call them to salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Well, we're reading through the Bible this year uh, through our one-story reading plan. We're teaching through the Bible as well. This week, I'll be teaching Luke 4, 5, and 6. You can join me in Luke 4 in a second, Luke 4, 5, and 6. And then, if you're not reading somewhere, we'll be reading as a church starting in Luke 8, like right after uh, where we're teaching this weekend. So all information about a reading plan, go to visitchristchurch.com slash one story. We are in a little series right now, a seven-week series on the life of Jesus. And so amazing to study Jesus' life because when we study Jesus, we learn about the other two persons of the Trinity. The Trinity is one God expressed in three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're studying the Son, the visible person of God. We're learning about the invisible God. You ever wonder who God is? Look at Jesus. Ever wonder what the Holy Spirit's up to inside of us who are Christians? Look at Jesus. The same things Jesus did 2,000 years ago, same thing we'll read here, he's doing inside of you if you're a Christian following the Holy Spirit. So, so far in the series, we've studied Jesus' childhood, and then we studied his call into ministry, the two things he had to do before starting to minister. If you miss either one of those weeks, please, 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 Go pick it up online. This week, Jesus' ministry. He's got like three to three and a half years. That is it uh, to see God change the world, to leave this incredible legacy for God's kingdom to spread all around the world. So what was his strategy during those three to three and a half years, that limited time? And what is his strategy revealed about our lives today? We're gonna study his strategy in two parts. We'll study both what he did. What did Jesus do for a living? as a 
full-time minister. And then the who, what and who. Who was he with the most? He was with a lot of people. But who was he with the most? So let's start with the what. The what of Jesus' ministry strategy. What? What did Jesus do as a minister? Like, what did he do with his time? What did he do with his weeks? What did he do as a full-time minister? So as we start thinking about this, let's think about ministers today. What do full-time ministers do today? What do they do? Um, If you're a a minister in one of the majority of churches in the United States, like 97% of churches are under 100. Think of all the small churches in all the small towns across the country. Well, if you're a minister in a, in a church under 100, you, there's a chance you do everything. <laughs> there's always a chance. It shouldn't be that way. It's a chance you visit people in the hospital, that you do every wedding and funeral, that you do the administration, you run the copies, you pay the bills, you do teaching. And pre- like, there's a chance you do everything in a church. What do ministers do today? There's an old joke that uh, people say, well, you only work one hour a week. Uh, what are you working on, your golf game? Lowering your golf handicap? Some people do. I work more than one hour a week, thank you very much. Uh, people ask me, like, what, Tim, what do you do as a senior pastor? Good question. Uh, there's two parts of my job. I view my job in teaching and leading. Uh, so the front half, front half of my week is all about teaching, both me learning, investing in other teachers and hosts, the speaking schedule. And then second half of the week is leading, developing others, meeting with our leadership team, meeting both staff and volunteer leaders, teaching and leading, that's pretty much what I do. I do, by the way, side note, I do ask sometimes when I see a person in ministry, what exactly does this person do? Like I, that thought does cross my mind, by the way. So what, what, what did Jesus do? What exactly did Jesus do? Because uh, whatever he did, he started immediately after being baptized and tempted. Uh, let's look in Luke 4, verse 16. Luke 4, verse 16. Uh, Jesus is back at his hometown synagogue. The synagogue he grew up as a kid and teenager and young adult, now he's back. He's gonna teach. Luke 4 verse 16 says this. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Side note, Jesus' pattern on the weekend, when there's weekend worship, he was there on the Sabbath He was in the synagogue and worshiping. He was a non-negotiable. That's the God man showing us how you get better at following God. Well, he's going to teach this weekend. So he stood up to read, verse 17 then says, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he unrolled the scroll he was handed. He found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, kind of rolled the scroll back up, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, a few things about this story. This is his first message he preached in full-time ministry back at his hometown synagogue. Uh, 
And uh, you see Jesus' strategy here that Paul, the Apostle Paul, adopted later on. How did Jesus reach areas? He would arrive at a city. How did Jesus reach areas? He'd arrive at a city. He'd find where the synagogue was. On Saturday, the Sabbath, he'd go there, be invited to teach as a visiting rabbi, teach the gospel, teach the Bible, split the synagogue. Half people did reject it, half accepted it, and moved on to the next city. That was Jesus' pattern. Go to a city, teach the Bible in a synagogue. Paul's pattern, go to a city, teach the Bible in a synagogue. These ready-made believers, all they needed to know was that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, this is a weird moment, though. Jesus preached. If, he, if I preached like this, you'd think I was weird. You would. If I had a guest speaker, you'd think they were weird. Uh, dude rolls into church, doesn't bring a Bible. Doesn't have, he needs to borrow a Bible? Are you crazy? So he borrows a Bible. He reads two verses. That's it. I wish this guy would get in the Bible. He reads two verses. Yeah, Isaiah 61, one and two. That's it. Sits down. I thought speakers stand. He sits down and then says, all this is fulfilled today. I'm pretty much I get, sure I get an email about that speaker. Please don't have that speaker again. Forgets his Bible, reads two verses. That's it. Are you crazy? Uh, that's how Jesus taught. The other thing about this is that if you read the rest of the story here, uh, his congregation tried to kill him. <laughs> now, I've had negative feedback before. I've had emails, strongly worded emails. Often, there's some really good points in there. Uh, I've never, to my knowledge, had somebody want to kill me after a service. That's what Jesus faced. So he taught the Bible. That's what he did with his time. And then he would leave synagogues. He'd do things in the city. What would he do in the city? So this story will jump ahead to when he's in Capernaum, which became his home base of ministry. He teaches in the synagogue yet again. That's what he does. Then he goes in the city. What's he do in the city? It says in Luke 4, verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. That's Peter, the future apostle, Simon Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. Oh, it's, it's terrible to be sick. And they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Word spread, obviously, because when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. It was disease central. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. What would Jesus do in the city? Well, he'd heal people. He'd serve people. He'd help people. He would draw new crowds and teach them the Bible, do a home Bible study. He would do this over and over. And uh, side note, people debate, uh, did Peter get married or not? Was he married or not? Uh, and here it says Peter had a mother-in-law. Speaking as a man who has a mother-in-law, I love my mother-in-law, but I would not get one without getting a wife in the deal. He was married. Peter was married. And so what did he do? He would teach in the synagogue, go in the city, heal people, draw crowds, teach to them, People would come, heal them. More people come over and over, back and forth. They tried to get him to stop do not going to the city. He says, I've got to go to city to city. It's not just about your city. It's about other cities, missions, other cities too. Verse 43, they're trying to get him to stay, but he, what does he say? He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Other cities count. Other cities have needs too. Because for this purpose, I have been sent 
He said, you got to be outward focused too. It's not just about you and your people. Other people need Jesus. Now, the most important time Jesus spent in his life was with God. He would have to get up early in the morning, go off into the woods and in the wilderness and spend time with God. That was his most important time. But what did he do in ministry to reach people? Here's what jumps out to me. Jesus showed us that we serve people and share the Bible. That's it. It's not rocket science. (laughs) What do we do as a church? Well, we serve people. We help people. Jesus healed people. People are drawn to that. And then that that crowd that gathers, you teach in the Bible. You share the gospel. We serve people and we share the Bible. Guys, there's so many good things that church can do and we get good ideas all the time, more than we can do. How did Jesus change the world? He served people and shared the Bible. That's what the spiritual gifts are. Realize you received at the moment of salvation one or more spiritual gifts. I was 19 years old. I didn't know what they were yet. I got them. As you grow spiritually, you find out what those are. There's listed between like 17 and 23, 70 to 23 spiritual gifts in the New Testament, depending on how you group them together. Uh, the spiritual gifts, write down 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 groups all those spiritual gifts into two categories, serving and speaking. Of course, that's what Jesus did. And guess what Jesus made you to do? To serve using his spiritual gifts he gave you, to serve people, to help people, to heal people, and then to open your mouth, to speak, to share the gospel. Here's my question for you. Are you using your spiritual gifts to minister? Do you have actual examples of God using you to minister help to people, to serve people who are not just your family, to open your mouth and share the gospel with them? What examples can you think of? His strategy, okay, I'm going to help people, gather a crowd, teach in the Bible, in the synagogues and home Bible studies, that's it. That's the what of his strategy. What did he do? Let's talk about who now. Who did Jesus spend time with? Who was Jesus with in ministry? He's with a lot of different people in ministry, but who did he spend the most time with? He was strategic with his time for those three to three and a half years. We probably should carve out some time to make sure we're spending time with the same type of people that Jesus spent time with. So again, let's think about ministers today. Who do ministers today spend time with? Who do ministers today spend time with? If you ask the average person, you probably hear spending time with the hurting. People that are either the poor, grieving, dying, the hurting. Or I saw spending time with people in celebration, celebrating. Uh, People who are getting married, just had a new baby. Uh, dedicating a, a child, baptisms, those kinds of things, both in hurting times and celebration times. And I don't disagree with those things. I think you ought to add in, ministers ought to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. It's hard for all of us. The more you become, if you, me, all of us, more become in the Christian world to have venues you're relating to non-Christians. You should spend some time with them. Your family, your family, like if you're having troubles at home, You can't be going out and conquering the world. God wants you to invest in home. And God's the most important time you spend. It's always God, family, and all y'alls else. I think that's what the Greek says, all y'alls. It's not, but you get it. That's who you should spend time with. Who did Jesus spend time with? What was his strategy? Luke chapter 5. This is the story before he chose the 12. He was gathering a large group, dozens and dozens of people. 
that were his disciples following him. The story begins in Luke 5, where he's at the Sea of Galilee. There is a series of fishermen, Peter and Andrew, future apostles, James and John, future apostles. They're fishing all night. They catch nothing. This guy shows up. He's a carpenter last time I checked. Tells the fishermen how to do their job. Would you please cast one net? I know you guys are exhausted. One net in the water, you're going to catch fish. Peter doesn't believe him. Peter humors him. <laughs> so, so he casts a net and they catch so many fish to the point that Peter feels totally convicted by the Holy Spirit that he is a doubter, unbeliever of Jesus. And he throws himself on the ground and he tells Jesus, please leave me. I am a sinful man. He's a broken man. They're all stunned. Pick up the story here. What does Jesus do with these four commercial fishermen? Luke 5 verse 9 says this. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They teamed up Peter and Andrew and his dad, James and John and his dad. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Personal invitation. Jesus personally asked these four guys, would you follow me? Would you be a disciple? Don't miss it, personal invitations. Now he didn't just invite laborers like commercial fishermen to follow him. He went to the corporate sector. He went to the tax office, to the IRS, Luke 5, verse 27. After these things, he went and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. So he said to him, follow me. So he, Levi, the otherwise named Matthew, the Matthew of the first Matthew book of the Bible, or book of the New Testament, he left all, rose up, and followed him. Personal invitation. At this point, Jesus is personally inviting certain people to follow him, and then others are gathering along. He's got dozens and dozens of people traveling from city to city, place to place, hearing him preach, watching him heal, hearing him preach, watching him the two things he does. And so then, one night, he pulls an all-nighter of prayer. And only two times in the Bible, we see Jesus praying all night long. One was the night he died. He died on the cross. He prayed all night long. I don't want to die on the cross. But I want you, I want what you want, God, more than what I want. What's the other time he prayed all night? Choosing the 12, being strategic. Who does God want to spend the most time with? It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. He had to get alone often. He's on a mountain by himself in the wilderness praying and continued all night in prayer to God. One in the morning, two in the morning praying, three in the morning, all night long. When it was day, you know, six, seven in the morning, he's not falling asleep yet. He called his disciples to himself, that larger group of, could be hundreds at this point. And from them, he chose 12, 12, just 12 whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, their brothers, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the good Judas, son of James, 
and Judas, the bad Judas, Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. After spending all night long, he did more personal invitations. How, how did the story of Jesus, who was he spending time with? Personally inviting people to be disciples, and of them, praying all night long, personally inviting people to be part of the 12, studying a new men's Bible study, a men's group. 13 guys in this group, invitation only, personal invites. I just want to pause here and talk about the power of personal invitations in your life and my life and those around us. Jesus personally invited people to follow him. When's the last time you personally invited someone to come to church with you? Personally invited someone to serve with you in ministry? Personally invited someone to join you in a study? Hey, would you follow me? Would you study with me? Would you join? Personal invitations are powerful. Early on in our church history, I didn't realize how powerful they were. Uh, There's a lady named Mary. Uh, I, I later call her back row Mary. Back row Mary was always in the back row. I knew where she was. She was not yet a Christian. I was preaching my heart out and praying like crazy, and Mary would not come to Christ. So one day, worship's going on, music's going on, and I come up in the back row. I, I roll up behind Mary. And I say, hey, Mary, I love Mary. I said, Mary, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Have you ever thought about receiving Jesus? Well, yes, I have. Would you like to receive Jesus today? Well, yes, I would. What? <laughs> so I led her to Christ that day, and I walked away going, why did back row Mary not receive Christ when every week we announce how you can receive Christ? Personal invitations. Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me. So what's the first step of a Christian after you become a Christian? Baptism. Again, we're celebrating baptism. I'm announcing, telling stories of baptism, showing videos of baptisms. Mary, back row Mary's not getting baptized. Again, I roll up on her in service. And I come to Mary and I say to Mary, have you thought about getting baptized? Well, yes, I have. Would you like to get baptized in our next baptism? Well, yes, I would. Again, personal invitations. There are people around you right now that would serve in ministry with you. They are one personal invite away from them serving. You opening your mouth, say, hey, would you just try out my ministry with me? Try it out one day. Would you come to my Bible reading huddle with me? Would you come to my, uh, my short-term study, our grace group? Or, hey, would you consider starting a discipleship relationship? And I'm not condemning back row Mary because I was middle row Tim. That's what I was. I didn't sit in the back row, but I'm not sitting in the front row like those crazies. I, that's what I thought as a young Christian. I'm sitting in the safe middle. And so I was middle row Tim, and I was not serving in ministry, and I heard announcements about ministry, uh, people casting vision. And it, I didn't get involved in ministry in California until a guy named John walked up and said, would you come serve in kids' ministry with me? And tears filled his eyes. You got to try it one time. John's passion for kids' ministry changed my life. He said, follow me. I said, I'll try it out. Back in Kansas City, I had a guy come up and say, hey, would you consider speaking in churches around? We're thinking this, getting this circuit riding ministry group. Uh, it's not volunteering. Would you come with me? Would you join me? I was personally invited. The power of personal invitation. Oh, and by the way, Jesus spent all night long, all night long in prayer, uh, twice, one before the cross, and one, to launch a grace group. God, who do you want me to start this small group with? 13 guys. He wanted to be most intentional. This, this jumps out to me. Who did he spend the most time with? Jesus showed us that we invest in faithful disciples. That's our primary ministry. Faithful disciples. Are we spending time with people without Jesus? Yes. The hurting? Yes. Yes. 
Helping others, yes, all of those things. But our greatest impact, our most strategic time is finding groups of people that you're going to invest in that have shown themselves faithful, that you don't have to follow around and make sure they're doing everything. Faithful people, they're faithful because they're faithful now in the small things. They're going to pass it on. They're going to pass the baton. Write down 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about this. Paul writing to his disciple Timothy. Tells Timothy, now I'm first generation. You're the second generation. Find faithful men. Invite people to be your disciple. Pour and invest them. Tell them if they stop, don't be a dead end for discipleship. I'm passing the baton. You got to pass that baton forward. Are you a dead end for discipleship or are you passing that baton on? Paul, Timothy, faithful man, other people. How about you? Where are you investing your time? What did Jesus do? So Luke 4, Luke 5, Luke 6. He's now got 12 disciples, Luke 6. Luke 6, Luke 7, Luke 8. They're just right along with him. They're watching him heal people, serve people. They're watching, listening to him preach to people. They're soaking it in. Luke 9. Now you guys go out two by two. You got to do it. You can't be a group just together forever. Other people need us. So two by two, six group of two, you go out and visit cities and get your own group of 12. That's where the 70 comes from in Luke 10. He invests and gets multiple generations. Jesus, the 12, the 70, the world. Paul, Timothy, Faithman, others. Don't be a dead end for discipleship. Are you discipling other people? Or helping disciple them. That's why we have all these areas you can help disciple. Grace Kids, Grace Students, our outreach, Grace Special Needs, Grace Groups, short-term Bible studies, Bible reading, huddles. Or you say, I can't, I'm not ready. Then you get involved in a Grace Group, a short-term Bible study, Bible reading huddle, so you can grow. Guys, the reason we're studying Jesus' life is we are first of all learning about Him and the invisible God and what the Holy Spirit's up to inside of you. He's trying to help you be strategic with your time. You're not going to live forever. What is, is, are you doing anything that, that your life actually matters forever? It's going to leave an eternal impact. If so, you'll be having the same strategy of Jesus. You'll be doing things Jesus did. You'll be with people Jesus was with. If you're a Christian, which one, jump, which one jumps out to you more? Is God's Spirit inside prompting you about doing the things Jesus did, which is serving people, other people, and then sharing the Bible. That's it. Are you doing the things Jesus did? Or is God prompting you about who you're spending time with? Do you have space in your world either to be discipled or make disciples? Guys, which one is it? Jesus is at work inside of you and wants your life to matter long-term. So many of the things that we do, if you're serving Christ, all of it glorifies God, but won't, like the stuff we do in the world, doesn't matter long-term, we've forgotten very quickly. These things will matter forever. They change heaven. They change the course of of destiny of people's lives. And if you're not a Christian, I'm gonna personally invite you. If you thought about becoming a Christian, you thought about praying with me at some point, I invite you right now. I beg you, please, would you pray for me? Pray pray with me. <laughs> I guess you could pray for me too. That's great. Why don't you pray this prayer for you to receive Christ? I invite you right now, if you don't know Christ, to accept him. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Dear Jesus, help the people listening who don't know you to receive you as Savior right now. 
If you're out there, it's time. I invite you to receive Jesus right now. Just like I talked to Mary, would you like to receive him right now? Do it right now. Just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, pray, dear Jesus, I believe that you died and rose for me. Would you save me? I surrender control to you. Be my savior, my Lord, my leader. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.